You're listening to episode 309 of the Major Issues Podcast, and on this episode, we talk about David Fincher's latest movie starring Michael Fassbender, based on a French graphic novel, The Killer. The Major Issues Podcast starts right now! Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and it's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you each and every week by comicbookclick.com, and you know this, I'm never alone. Sir, if you could please introduce yourself. I am Dan, the number one Smiths fan. Dan, the number one Smiths fan, is here. Dan, the movie man. Dan, the comic book man. Dan, the man of many traits. And uh, you saw how I called you all your nicknames. I'm I'm thorough and methodical like that. I like to take my time and make sure I get everything right, like the expert Listen, that I am. As long as you eat egg McMuffins without the bread, that's fine. Yeah, that's a bit. That's a bit rough. Um, but yeah, we are here to talk about someone as methodical, as much of an expert in their craft. We're here to cover the 2023 action crime thriller, or action thriller, uh, The Killer. Everybody. The thriller that is The Killer, directed by David Fincher from a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, it's based on the graphic, the French graphic novel, The Killer, written by Alex Matz. Nolent. Apparently, Alex Nolent's pen name is Mats. So when you look at the comic cover, it just says Mats um, and Luke Giacomon, who's the illustrator. Uh, the film stars Michael Fassbender in the title role alongside Arliss Howard, Charles Parnell, Carrie O'Malley, Sarah Baker, Sophie Charlotte, and Tilda Swinton in supporting roles. It follows the titular assassin as he embarks on an international vendetta after a hit goes wrong. Um, this was almost a perfect uh, s- subject or film to cover because it intersects two separate journeys that both of us have been going on. I've been kind of with all of comic book like right just trying to find uh films and tv series that might be based on graphic novels that most may not know about and you have been going on your own uh sojourn through film uh going in and watching as much film as you can you have your own letterbox um that you've been working steadily on you've seen more movies this year in theaters and possibly any year you've been alive um and this was one of the films on your radar was this a theater watch oh yes this was oh i went to the alamo draft house for this one this was actually the first uh movie in theaters that i saw in like the front row because you know all my life i've always been a back of the row person that's just always been who I was. I don't know why the back of the road just always felt nice. Maybe it's because I was young and small. So like sitting up that close is like that Willem Dafoe meme where I'm just yeah. like staring up into the abyss. It was twenty feet high. But this was this was genuinely the first movie that I sat in row D. And it was Alamo Draft House. So it has a waiter and everything the Little got fancy. some food, got some beer. Yeah, it was fun. It was, and then this just in general was 
an amazing time. I didn't know this was a graphic novel until after the movie came out because this was on my radar for, for Fincher. Of course, you mm. know, Fight Club, Seven, Zodiac. Yeah. Like, like, I was here for this man, no matter what. And especially Fastbender and, like, a Jason Bourne type role. But Yeah, I assume that Fastbender and... I just assume that Fastbender and... Fincher are going to be what gets people to this film. You know, they're th those names um, are in the marquee is what's going to um, introduce a lot of people to this graphic novel that most didn't even really know about. Um, I was able to kind of skim through a bit of the beginning of the graphic novel. I it hadn't hit the events of oh, I read this the film first, yet. The first book. You did? Yeah, I read the first issue. And it was basically, yeah, like the first half of the movie. Like, Literally, yeah. like the first like twenty minutes, thirty minutes of the movie was was like that first issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was able to read that first issue too, and it seems like they were doing a lot more like flashbacks and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if it eventually got to the events of this film. Um, but yeah, it turns out that this graphic novel has been a passion project for David Fincher for nearly twenty years. He's been trying to nail Jesus getting this project done. In 2008, Fincher originally thought of Brad Pitt for the role of the killer. But Pitt said it was a little too... <laughs> he said he was a, it was a little too nihilistic for him. Oh my God, this is the same kind of bullshit that stopped Jacob Alwardy from being Superman. Uh, it's funny because I find... He has a... He has the same um, sort of uh, like getup as the bullet train assassin. <laughs> like they both like their sunglasses and bucket hats. So I wonder, I wonder if that had anything oh to do with that. Oh my god! I've never seen Brad Pitt eating egg McMuffin without the bread. I am never getting over that. I will never forget it. I was literally, I was sitting in theaters with my friend Jacob, and he's just walking by France. He goes to McDonald's. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, McDonald's, whatever. He sits down with the egg McMuffin and he takes off the bread and just eats it with the meat and the, the cheese and the egg. And I'm just like, this man is a psychopath. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. This man is demented. That's the ham one, right? The straight up egg McMuffin. Is that is that a thing? I don't eat many McDonald's breakfasts. It's just, it's just literally a circular ham. Mm -hmm. circular egg and a piece of sliced yellow American in between an English muffin. Right. And he, he orders it. He opens the sandwich. He takes off the English muffin bread and then bare hands ham and egg and just eats it. <laughs> Which is also pretty weird because I'm, I'm almost certain you could... Like, if he really wanted it that way, he probably could have just told them, right? No, you can't. The only place that you could do it like that is Five Guys. They have an option where you can do a, either a bunless burger, where they put your burger in a, in a bowl, or you can do a lettuce burger. Well, you do the same thing in Chipotle, bun, right? You wrap your burger in. Chipotle, you could ask uh, for yeah. a tortilla and you get it do, like in a plate a or a bowl or something. Um, I also think well, knowing this character... 
Yeah, I think knowing this character, he would think if he had a very specific food order that that might somehow get traced back to him or something like that. So he's like, Do you remember screw it. everything he was eating in that movie? I don't remember everything he was eating in the in the film, no. He ate a, a, a breadless egg McMuffin, hard-boiled egg, a banana, and a granola bar. I remember that. No, sorry, he didn't have a granola bar. Sorry, he had a banana. And he drank no, it, no, it was granola bar, and he also it was had some a, sort of yeah. and sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember he the sure. Yeah. He, he he stopped at Seven Eleven after the Miami uh, part. Yeah, and and gets literally like Seven Eleven truck stop food, hard old egg, a banana, granola bar, and an sure. Right. And what is this man's diet regimen? It's not, that can't be good for him. And when something's not good for you, it may cause you to kind of steer away from something for a while. Like if he got food poisoning from that Egg McMuffin, he odds are he wouldn't, you know, continue to buy Egg McMuffins. And the oh, food no. poisoning I that know. it turns out happened to Michael Fassbender was the poison that was Dark Phoenix. Apparently, this is Michael Fassbender's first film in four years because of Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Oh my god! I sat and I thought about it. I sat and I thought about it, and yeah, bro, he's not done anything together in theaters in like 2019. 2019, and this is his first film in four years. (laughs) That means I saw Michael Fassbender's last film and first film back both in theaters. You could you can see how in that moment he's like, I need to do something from a director with a vision. You know, like I need to do something, not, not a conveyor belt. We're just putting another movie in the line of 20 movies, but something that someone cares about. And like I said, a passion project, he's been, he's been working on this for 20 years. Um, and, okay. And, and may, maybe it's me just be speaking a hyperbole. Sorry to cut you off, but this, this just feels to me, besides jobs, or like a, an actual breakout role for this man. He's old, he, he may have had lead roles, but he's never really been able to shine alone as a lead. He's always yeah. been on a team. He's always had a notable actor working alongside with him, whether Seth Rogen or James McAvoy. Like he's, or even in his various bastards. Like he's never had a chance to shine alone. His big thing would be Prometheus, right? Would you say? Would probably be like his biggest? Then, even then, he had Charlize Theron. But I'm saying, like, do you think like that and would be like Elba. his his big like if you're looking at his resume, you're looking at leading man kind of stuff. Prometheus is up there. That would right? be the first time that he was a leading man. Yeah, that would definitely be like his first like actual role as a leading man. But like this movie, like isolated him from anybody else. But the only other notable person that acted alongside of him was in like two second scene. Right. And I didn't even know till this man was in this movie until I saw her in the movie. You want to talk about funny people in this movie? So I'm reading the the uh, uh, you know the the credits. The opening credits are pretty cool. They look very comic booky when it starts. Um, and I'm reading the names that are coming up, whatever. And I see Charles Parnell, and my mind goes, "The hell is Jerry from Rick and Morty doing in here?" Yes, and for the rest yes, of the film, yes. I said the same thing. I thought it was Chris Parnell as film, well. I'm waiting for Chris Parnell to show up. And the film ends to the point that I'm looking at the client at the end because I know this is the ending of the film. Like, that's not like, am I supposed to believe this was Chris Parnell? No, it was never Chris Parnell. 
<laughs> it was always Charles Parnell, very talented actor, but yeah, completely, completely spaced on that. I was yeah. waiting this entire time for uh to, to pop up. The, the nice staple bath. Suppressing fire. No, I, I literally figures. <laughs> I that was that was who I actually said. I even say Jerry. I didn't even see the Charles. I saw all Parnell because I'm in the front row. I'm seeing everything. I'm like trying to pay attention to everything. Yeah. And the credits was very reminiscent to Scott Pilgrim because like the credits were like stylized for each actor. Yeah. Like it was a different background every time. So I'm trying trying to look at everything. But yeah, I saw Parnell and I'm like, oh my God, Cyril? There's no way he's in this. But I also know who Charles Parnell is as well. So when right. I saw him, that's when I put two and two together. Oh, like, connected. Oh, oh, wait a connected minute. Connected for you. Like, um, so this is in his entire filmography. This is David Fincher's first comic book film. Um, but he was previously attached to direct several others, including Blade and Spider-Man in 2002. Uh, he was talked about doing this. Oh, this man got, got fucking... Not even paranoia, but a phobia to work with big studios ever since Alien Three. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that um, DVD uh, making up. What a shit show! (laughs) What a shit show! You've seen the making up, right? Yo, once he saw Twentieth Century Fox work, he's like, you know what? This is not even worth it. I'm just gonna do my own thing. Um, And then we got Seven and Fight Club and Zodiac. Given this now and the the films that you have seen of him, I'm I'm pretty sure you're a bit uh, knowledgeable about his direction style and and you know the things that make his movies like that. What do you think would be a good property for him to tackle? Marvel, DC, Image it doesn't really matter. What do you think um, if, if he wanted me, to? Yeah. Um, definitely a, a Vertigo. I would want to see either a Vertigo or an image. Or if he's going to go like DC or Marvel, it has to be something with, you know, bite to it. It can't just be, he can't just take a like Superman a project on. He can't just take a Spider-Man project on. Yeah. I wonder if he, if something like Punisher would be good for him or if that's too kind of, too kind of bloody and gritty. If he's, he's a bit more, I mean, he, I think he could be really good. For the boys. <laughs> I was going to say a David Fincher Batman yeah, movie. I think he could do exactly the what Batman is for the boys. The, uh, the Batman is of David Fincher, like, aping of kind of sort of, of, like, Seven and stuff. So, I guess, yeah, I guess I just, uh, I predicted the future. Or well, no, the, the Batman was definitely taking a lot of Fincher. And, like, Matt Reeves was definitely doing a lot of Seven Zodiac yeah. there. So, yeah. So, it would have to be something dark. It would have to be something with bite. I could see that. Um, our protagonist goes under many aliases, and I've written them down here in case people were a bit curious as to why they sound familiar. Uh, he was once Felix Unger. That's a character from The Odd Couple from 1970. He was Archibald Bunker, a.k.a. Archie Bunker from All in the Family. He was Oscar Madison. He, that's the other Odd Couple uh, guy there. Uh, he was Howard Cunningham from ha- Happy Days. He was Reuben Kincaid from the Partridge family. He was Lou Grant from Lou Grant. Uh, he was Sam Malone from Cheers. He was George Jefferson from the Jeffersons. And then Robert Hartley from the Bob Newhart show. So at least he has a sense of humor for his aliases. Yeah, no, it, it was getting ridiculous. 
I I was ca- I called on once I saw Felix Unger. Cause yeah, I was that like, that's the odd couple guy, right? <laughs> same, same, same thing for Archie Bunker. Like, yeah. when you notice Archie Bunker and you notice Felix Unger, you're like, wait a minute, and Sam Malone, you're like, something's wrong here. I mean, George Jefferson, but even, I guess even Jefferson's Kyle pretty... Cunningham. Yeah, I think Jefferson's pretty, what well, you call yeah, it, pretty yeah, exactly. um, yeah. common, but I don't Je- know about George Jefferson's Jefferson. Jefferson's would be known. Jefferson's would be known. Now, George Jefferson is definitely a name that's, like, synonymous with pop culture. Same thing with um, uh, Howard Cunningham. I but we have to remember, dude, we're in our 30s. Yeah. We grew up with parents, especially me. My parents were born in 1971. So when a brunt of these shows were coming out, my parents were like 10, 12, 13, 14. They're watching uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, and Happy Days and stuff like that when they're like in high school. So it'd be like the equivalent of us watching How I Met Your Mother and, um, it, you know, It's Always Sunny. Yeah. So, of course, when my parents are in their early 20s raising me, I'm going to end up being raised on cheers and wings and uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's yeah, a bit yeah. weird. I have, to, I have to remember. like, <laughs> how, I was raised yeah, by, by children, basically. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I So before we get into full spoiler territory with this, I'll go ahead and give uh, my review, and then you'll go ahead and give yours, and then we'll dive right in. Um, it's, it's a hefty movie in the sense that it's two hours long but um as far as like notes and stuff like that a lot of it is building anticipation so i feel like talking about the films are going to be significantly shorter than watching the film um i would also say that i in my opinion to truly appreciate this film you have to watch it more than once because i think that when you watch it for the first time yeah i think when you watch it for the first time you're wanting the film to follow the very uh natural tropes that would occur in a revenge film because that's what this basically becomes at one point um and ultimately if that's well, this is a john wick ass and anything where the yeah, company right. burns you right any 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 spy situation where the the organization turns on I you is like literally movies at least once a year yeah that's why I. That's why I was joking. At least one. When we one did. That's why I was joking when we did Gray Man, because I was like, "Yeah, they burn you, and then the person that they grab to get you is he's unorthodox, but he gets the job done. It's always and this guy is unorthodox, but he gets the job. Done. It's it's it happens all the time. But I got that. What, if it's I'm watching it, I know. Really? Yeah. Well, um, we're gonna talk about all that. Yeah. When I when I was watching it, um, yeah, I found that it hit certain uh, trope points in a story like this. But Fincher understands how to play with structure and uh, subvert expectations. So it doesn't necessarily end exactly how you think it will. Um, and so if you're watching this film for the first time and you're tra- you're expecting it to follow the same recipe, when it doesn't do what, it's, what you intended to do at the end, you could leave a little bit confused. You know, the, the air doesn't get taken out of the balloon as in the same way um but when you watch it uh for the second time and you keep that tilda swinton conversation in your mind um nothing that this character does is by mistake um and we you know you where that leads your mind and stuff uh you know 
to each his own. Um, I thought Fastbender was really, really good in this. I thought the minimal cast helped make this work. I thought um, dehumanizing almost everybody by not giving them names also showed like the cold kind of callous world that I guess a killer or somebody who constantly has to be, you know, covering his tracks, uh, you know, has to live in. And of course, like, Everything else I've ever said about comic books, I truly adore that they brought in his inner monologue because I think almost without it, I don't know what this would look like. I think you need to be in the mind of a killer, but like the killer. Without the monologue. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of um. Like, I'm and they, and many things have existed, right? Many films and many television shows have existed without inner monologue. Um, but sometimes that means they have to be a bit be a bit heavy handed with what you see on screen, so as to uh, allow your mind to connect those dots because they're not going to outright outright tell you. Um, but I really, really love. I wouldn't know he was meticulous just by the the yoga, like just because he does the yoga and he listens to the Smiths. I wouldn't know he was meticulous until his after the whole him going outside and walking around and coming back. Because then he was, yeah, wearing gloves, scrubbing things, doing dishes. Like, yeah, it, it would be too, it would be too slow for me to get to know and want to care about this character. So sometimes the inner monologue is very much needed. Yeah, not to get too spoilery, but I also think that the inner monologue allows you to see how he sees society, which I think paints how he sees the job and paints how he sees his life in general. And a lot of that is in flux in this film. Um, it starts off with a very, very hard, rigid set of rules. And as we continue, we can see how emotion might change those things and thus change the trajectory of a character overall. But I would recommend it again. I think two watches, you know, it's again, I have to watch, but I think if you have the time uh, two watches really, really helps it uh, go down well. Um, but there's, there's always something on screen to entertain you and, uh, beautifully shot, beautifully color graded, etc. Uh, let me know what you think about this film, spoiler free, and then tell me, I guess without spoilers, what are a few, uh, I guess what we call them Fincherisms, uh, a few calling cards, uh, that you recognize of the director where you're like, yeah, he had to, you know, that's, a, you know, there were no feet shots. So I know this wasn't a Tarantino film, but, um, if you have any history with that director, what do you think are some things you've seen in this that were totally Fincher? Well, this has been a big one. I've watched like 117 movies this year. So it's like, it's hard to like say what movie deserves the top 10, what movie doesn't. and and the gray rating, but this one is definitely a top, this is a five-star movie for me. When I watched it a second time, I got about 20 minutes in, and I knew that I loved this movie. Like, it was just one of those movies where I know I'm going to see again and again and again and again and again. And when I decided to do the ranking, I have this at 11. This is my 11th best movie of the year. And then... With Fincher's ranking, this is number five. This is like in the, this is the top five Fincher movies. Like this is one of the best movies he's ever done. Mm -hmm. And I loved Fassbender's acting. I think him he needs movies where he gets to have the fights because he's yeah. genuinely a great 
action star. He can do action. So seeing him getting to fight like Jason Bourne, John Wick is just perfect. And with the Fincherisms, well, he he always tackles killers. Okay. He always tackles psychotic, sick, fucking mind of a, of somebody who's willing or can uh, kill people. From Seven to Fight Club to Zodiac to Gone Girl, that's just what he does. Okay, so this was right in his alley. And then, of course, the color green. Yeah. And yeah, when, <laughs> when you see a lot of color green, just know that's Fincher. <laughs> well, this is definitely Fincher. You see green, let's, just know it's Fincher. let's get all up in this uh, story. We'll be taking it it's chapter by chapter. Killer. Yeah. Let's get into the mind of a killer. It goes chapter by chapter, um, and each chapter has a title and a location. Uh, so we start off in Paris with chapter one called The Target. Our story starts off with us watching an unnamed but meticulous professional assassin called The Killer. Well, that's what we'll be calling him. Uh, we see him stake out a hotel in Paris from an abandoned WeWork office. He prepares to use a sniper rifle to kill a target who will check into the hotel room at an unspecified time. And we get a bit of insight of his process through his inner monologue. Um, one of the things that he repeats to himself over and over again, I have written here. Uh, Stick to your plan. Anticipate. Don't improvise. Trust no one. Never yield an advantage. Fight only when the... Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. Forbid empathy. Empathy is weakness. Weakness is vulnerability. Um, each and every step of the way, ask yourself, what's in it for me? This is what it takes, what you must commit yourself to if you want to succeed. Um, now. That shit was great. A lot of it, I loved, like, the whole. There was a, uh, when I was watching this show called uh, Follow the House of the Usher. Yeah. There was a line from good old Mark Hamill where he plays a shady lawyer. And he's like, I don't have loved ones. Loved ones is collateral. I don't have collateral. I'm like, yo, uh, that's some cold shit to say. Like, yo, like, you can't hold nothing over me because I don't got nothing you can hold. Like, so there's a cold. lot of a, there's a lot of question over whether or not, like, are these rules of being a good assassin or are these rules that make him feel better about being an assassin? <laughs> You know, like, 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 is this well, one of those, it's like... It's not even about feeling better about being an assassin, because he doesn't care. It's money that he doesn't... He has no feelings towards humans enough where he doesn't even care that, about the target. The target is nothing more than a video game. He's an... He is his own video game main character. But he's not having fun. It's not a game for him. Like, he, he knows that it's about the money. He's He's so emotionless in it, I wonder if that was a prerequisite for the job like if that was something like he, you know like he he's got himself in this mind state because we see when an ounce when a shot glass is uh full of emotion gets introduced into this story all these rules go by the wayside <laughs> right so how how strongly does he believe in this in this belief system or is it just what he says to go to bed at night? Like these are, you know, what I'm saying, like I only killed who I had to kill, and I don't work for a country. Well, that's what I, I love about the synopsis of this movie. 
my favorite thing about this movie is the synopsis. Because it says, he swears that it's not personal. He's on a mission that he swears it's not personal. And it's like, bro, it is nothing if but personal. Yeah. Like, they came to one of your safe houses and roughed up your girl. And you're going after each and every one of them that had something to do with it. That is the definition of personal, my friend. But the synopsis swears by the fact that this character believes it's not personal. And I think it's brilliant marketing. I think one of the other important quotes from this is, um, from the beginning of history, the few have always exploited the many. This is the cornerstone of civilization. The blood in the mortar that binds all bricks. Whatever it takes, make sure that you're one of the few and not one of the many. So, yeah, even with this line here about the few and the many, he has an elitist kind of view in him, of himself. It could possibly be, be because he's he acts like a ghost. You know, he's able to get in and out of places most people can't. He uh, affords an amount of money and a lifestyle most people dream of. He um, knows of secrets <laughs> in high society and stuff um, that other people don't. But overall, as we'll see at the end of this, he doesn't really want to be one of the few because being one of the few is an extremely lonely, paranoid, um, and, you know, uh, maybe even boring existence. Um, in the comic, no, he, he seems to be looking over the shoulder. Yeah. I was going to say, in the comics, he, he definitely the- has that feeling of. Uh, of almost like Jack Skellington, like he's no, he's good at his job, and it's almost kind of making them a bit bored of it. Um, and if you use that to infer this film at all, uh, and as well, I, let, let's get there. Um, he's incredibly patient during his stakeout. He practices yoga. He listens to the Smiths and talks on the phone with his handler, an attorney, and his former university law professor, Edward Eddie Hodges. The killer narrates these activities, stressing the mantra of his rules and the routine uh, and even the boring nature of his job and how his cynicism and lack of empathy are beneficial for his chosen profession. Um, And he's also incredibly sleep deprived. Uh, The target eventually arrives in the company of a dominatrix whom the killer did not expect. The killer misses his target, accidentally shooting the dominatrix. He flees on an e-scooter, successfully evading the police and disposing of his rifle and clothes and anything else that could link the botched attempt to him while muttering about missing the target. He then flies to the United States under one of his many numerous fake uh, identities. So this is what I was what I meant to say. It's really odd for this film to start off with a man speaking about how proficient he is at a job only for us to watch him botch. And Tilda Swinton's character later on, the expert, alludes to this idea that it might have been on purpose. Where do you sit on all that? <laughs> I don't think I don't think it was on purpose. It wouldn't if it was on purpose, we're getting his inner monologue. He's meticulous. He's very pragmatic and straightforward. He wouldn't exclaim, oh, fuck. I think it was a brilliant choice by Fincher or 
even if it was in the, the comic, I think it's a brilliant choice for him to be this meticulous, perfect, by the numbers, by the book killer, where I'm the best at what I do, I'm the best in the world. And then the first mission that the audience sees is him failing, showing he's only human, that God does bleed. Like, that's how I view it anyways. I see it as this, as this way to shatter that image of, no, this man is not perfect, even though the next thing you're going to see for the rest of the movie is him being, like, kind of perfect. <laughs> I, I get that. I think there's weight to your uh, point of view. Um, I, I guess where I where I come down on it is a little bit like I feel like there was a point in time in which he did clearly have the shot, and the introduction of the dominatrix seemed to bug him. And when the dominatrix shows up, that's when he repeats to himself, "Stick to the plan, don't improvise." As if for a second he wasn't going to stick to the plan. As if for a second he was thinking about doing something else. And um, even when he has, like I said, it seems like he, there's a couple of times where he has a good shot. Now, obviously, he also has a routine about his heart rate. You know, things have to be precise for him to take these shots. He, these are all calculations he's made in his head. Um, but if you're thinking about the analogy of the uh, that we get later on of the bear and the hunter, um, you know, like, is he in it for the hunt or, you know, is he is he about done with, with, with all this? And Or at the very least... Once he killed the, once this happens, he doesn't go to Hodge, right? He doesn't go to Hodge and is like, yo, I messed up. Like, what are we going to do? Kind of stuff. He goes home, which is what everyone tells him is the exact opposite of what he should have done, given the fact that he now, you know, is going to be targeted or, you know, he just literally botched a hit. Who knows where well, that revenge is going to come from? These are definitely not people you can apologize to. This isn't your boss at Home Depot where you can say, hey, boss, I'm sorry I put the wrong price tag and sold a bundle of wood for 10 bucks." This is like, this is big stuff. But you're either going to pay for it up front or you're going to pay for it somewhere else. Ultimately, boss is boss. Because in the same thing, in the same uh, Home Depot scenario, if you don't, tell them you can't just do that and then go home <laughs> right like if you if you if you're working fast food and you put all the mcflurries in the fryer by accident you can't just go home and then come to work the next day <laughs> you either have to come up front and be like hey i messed this up or you leave and be like you know what i'm done with this i was always done with this place i'm out i'm out of here you know what I'm like you know what that was the last that was the last that was my last straw, and I was always trying to leave this place. And you know what? I'm out of here, kind of stuff. I, that's, or at least that's what I'm bringing to, at least to the conversation. You know, I think, um, I think it's interesting to talk about whether or not. I can't seem to make an argument that he he was ready to quit because he said it himself that he was trying to make a million dollars. He just needed that million. Yeah. Out of the game's so I don't think he would jeopardize it if that was like one of the last two cases that he said he was doing. But it also this becomes a case be of it also becomes a case of once he messed up, he was fine without the million dollars. You know? Like I remember I, I remember me saying I want this amount of money saved in my bank before I left New York and went to Florida. Right? And I got ended up getting like half of it, 
Um, and I didn't think I could get half of it, so I ended up doubling it and saying, if I really want to be secure, I should have $10,000 saved in my bank account before I move. And I had a conversation with somebody one day, and I was just in the dumps from where I was at, at my job, all that kind of stuff. And they were like, are you still planning to go to Florida? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, what are you, you know, what's taking you so long? And I'm like, well, I, I said I wanted to save up 5Gs. I was able to save up 5Gs, and then I ended up getting changed over, and um, 10 became the, the magic number. And they asked me a question that was sort of like along the lines of like, are you going to be happy in the process of getting those $10,000 <laughs> or is five enough with where you're at now to kind of cut ties and make this, make this choice a reality. Um, I do think if this kit would have went well, he probably would have done one more or whatever got, got to, got to that magic number, but he didn't again, like, it's not like he signed up for the next gig. He went home. <laughs> like he, he went to, to see his boo in Dominican Republic. And, and also, there's also a bit of there's also a bit of me that's like the gall, the gall to think that you could live that life and and be untouched, the gall to make you think that, you know, like none of like the elitist nature, like literally on the top, looking down on everybody, you know, shooting people from afar, uh, playing every anyone who has to deal with identification. He's playing like a fiddle because he has 17 different passports. He has different uh, names and all that kind of stuff. It's odd for some, again, it's odd for someone to be that meticulous and not kind of see, do you think it was a, like kind of an obvious mistake going back home as Hodge tells them later on? Oh, of course it was. Of course it was. He's that, but that's why I'm going into the argument that they're showing him make these mistakes after you spend 10 minutes in his mind of him convincing you that he's the best in the world only to show you he hesitated. He botched a killing. He ran away like a coward. He got his girlfriend in danger. He, like, he's doing all of these mistakes while trying to convince you that he's the best. I think it's brilliant because you want to love him. You want to like him. And he's doing a lot to make you like him. But as well as making you say, yo, this guy's kind of a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's when they're kind of replacing him. Dope. Yeah. Um, so the killer lands in the Dominican Republic and uh, drives to his secret lavish compound, only to find it has been broken into. After surveying the bloody scene, he contacts a, a hospital and learns that his romantic partner Magdala had been attacked. He immediately heads there to visit her in the intensive care unit and sees her brother Marcus watching over her. He learns from Marcus that Magdala was interrogated and tortured by two assassins, but managed to injure one of them and escape. The killer also learns that the assassins left in a green car with a light on top like a taxi. Uh, Magdala seems proud of herself when she admits that she never once snitched. So yeah, like, no, the brother bad. knows him. That was a real Huh? I mean, that's a real ride or die right there. Because like, she was like, like proud of that. Like, I never, I never said a word. I never said nothing. I kept my mouth shut. I'm like, oh my god! All right, girl. <laughs> yeah, she, she was, she was really holding her own. Yeah. So 
she's she's down. I don't know what she knows about uh you know what she knows about his work. I don't think any of that's super clear. I know that Marcus obviously you think she knows it all? Oh, she definitely knows it all. Interesting. Oh, she definitely knows it all. She didn't she didn't defend him the way she did. If she didn't either know A, he's an assassin, or B, he fed her some bullshit <laughs> like, yeah, I'm CIA. I'm some yeah, true yeah, lies yeah. shit. Like it, 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 one or the other has to be an option. Either she knows he's an assassin or she thinks he's CIA secret agent. Somebody man. worth defending, right? Because she could have gave up somebody. She could have gave up herself in that moment and saved a lot of broke. But she could have saved ribs. her and her brother with no problem. Um. So probably for real. They, they, that I thought. That scene was very well done where he's surveying the 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 apartment where he sees like the broken glass and he sees the blood splatter and he you know like your mind can kind of fill in the blanks as to what happened here. Oh, once he noticed the cigarette buds, I knew it. Yeah, exactly. Once he noticed the cigarette buds and the camera holds on the cigarette buds and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, we were with this guy for like 20 minutes. Yeah. He definitely doesn't smoke cigarettes." And he knows that he knows people. We know now that he knows. People and it was also blaring bl- so. music when he when he when got he to those as well. It was blaring. Uh, yeah, the Smiths. So, um, I thought I just thought that was that was one of those non-speaking moments that I thought uh, went well on screen, where you can kind of connect the dots of like, oh, okay, uh, there's there was obviously a scuffle here. There's blood streaked across. The you know the uh, wall. There's a, a piece of broken glass with blood on it. Now we know she like ran through like a uh, plate glass window. Um. So the killer promises Marcus that nothing like this will ever be allowed to happen again, which I thought was a very odd way to word that. Right? It's not this won't happen again. Is this will not be allowed to happen again? Which means that I will now set the precedence as to why you know, like I will now show everyone who's capable of doing this why they should know not to do this. No, that's why I'm saying it's like some John Wick shit because he's literally telling the entire table, "Yo, you know who I am, right? All right, don't ever try this on me again." Um, I thought I thought that that was pretty um, interesting because again, you see on his face, you see when he talks to her that he obviously cares about these people, and this was something that he had no no empathy of. Literally, just shot a, a dominatrix like you know the day before or whatever. Um, and no, yeah, you could surmise that's his girlfriend or wife yeah. or partner of some sort. Yeah, enough to go to a hospital where he know where he. You know, um, can be spotted, identified, et cetera, and so forth. He is very careful. So the the frenzy in which he was able to find her and then go locate her and literally talk to her shows you uh, that he's willing to at least forego some of his carefulness to to do this. Because even when he shot 
um the dominatrix what that scene of him like scrubbing and and throwing out his clothes and he's he's like almost upset it, it, it reminds me of like the dentist like oh you peed you just sprayed dna everywhere like that's what he, he's like talking he's like i might as well have like licked whatever because um you know that's he understands how little the little things that if you don't clean up can end up coming back to haunt you so the you know like and when he's on the plane he's looking at people that may look suspicious etc and so forth and this man was was doing everything with like gloves on it's like yo you at this point you're literally washing your gloves like we can't be this paranoid and yeah He's this paranoid, which leads you to believe, yo, how many times has this yeah. man messed up before? Where he's literally scrubbing the gloves right. before he throws them away. And he knows. <laughs> he was eating and like toothbrush scrubbing each plate and each utensil right. as he was eating. And it kind of me makes your mind wonder whether or not he's being proficient or paranoid. You know? If you're... If you're you, you're, you are a, proficient until you're paranoid, right? Like, <laughs> so long as something bad happens, you're proficient. <laughs> if, if oh, it's a thin line, about as thin as yeah, it's pretty thin. Dental floss, uh, as thin as a Q-tip. But um, we he tracks down the taxi driver Leo, who drove the assassins to the killer's home, and after pointing a gun at him, starts to get some answers. Leo identifies a man with an injured leg whom he calls the Brute and a woman who he who resembled a Q-tip but swears he had nothing to do with anything that happened on the property. He says the assassins wouldn't take no for an answer and pleads with the killer who shoots and kills Leo without flinching, leaving his body in his taxi. Uh, Bro, that shit had the theater jumping. Like, people jumped. They shot him, like, mid-sentence. <laughs> That should have me a little. Yeah. It was so matter Very of fact. Very cold and calculated. Um, you know, at one point he even uh, like agrees to like leave the taxi behind. Like, I'll just bounce, bro. You never have to worry about hearing from me, etc. Um, so. Because he saw his face, heard his yeah. voice, knew who he was. Um, okay, so. Breaking his fight, only the battles you're paid to fight he ends up seeking to track down the other two assassins making it personal so we go to chapter three and we see the lawyer in new orleans the killer travels go ahead okay, i just have to say it as a movie thing i don't know what it is this year but almost every single movie that has come out in this year has done movies in has broken their movies up in chapters and parts yeah. and books and I'm not mad at it. I'm kind of liking the style choice. But like one or two movies, okay. But it's at least five, six movies that I've seen this year that have broken things up into chapters and parts. And I'm like, yo, okay, right. what's going on now? I think it's, I think it's, it's got to be fun to different. write that way, right? It's got to be fun to sort of section it. So oh, definitely. It's easy. Section it definitely off. Easy to write um, and it, it also helps that this is based on a comic book <laughs> so you can literally do individual issues six to seven issues is a volume it is a, is a comic arc so i think that's interesting as well and that's about 40 minutes of a movie right there so there you go, yeah, you, go. you have act one and two 
Um, so the killer travels to Edward Hodge's office in New Orleans, Louisiana, in hopes of getting info on Magdala's attackers. He manages to gain entry to the building disguised as a custodial worker, and after forcing Dolores, Hodge's secretary, to follow, um, sorry, Hodge's secretary and fellow handler, to restrain Hodges and then herself, he destroys the electronic records of their work together by putting staples through Hodges' computer. I love that Hodges like that's juvenile. <laughs> This is <laughs> like, what, that's so juvenile. Um, yeah, because again, it shows like, bro, you may be like meticulous, but in some cases, you're not you're the brightest ball. This is like, being emotional. It's a laptop. All you did was break the screen. I can that's easily thing. take a hard Would you out. believe Hodge when he says that everything is on those two laptops? Like, is that super smart or super safe? I mean, is that super uh, smart or, no. or a lie, I guess is what I'm saying. If if there genuinely is on everything on just two laptops that he destroyed, stupidest thing in the world because then mm-hmm. the entire empire topples. But I guess that's the point of what this character is doing. He's literally supposed to be toppling a right. hitman empire. If it's a lie, it's the it's the most brilliant lie in the world, because then it still leaves room like a MacGuffin yeah. for sequels. Because the the series is only ten issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it continues into like later, like this story, I believe, is ten issues. I think it continues into later volumes of other stuff because it stopped for a very long time. Um, the series itself seemingly coming to a natural conclusion, and I heard just recently kicked back up to like our umbrella academy how we're starting to get some new stuff from there uh similar to that um so hodges attempts to de-escalate the situation but the killer just shoots him in the chest with a nail gun three with three different uh three times uh crazy death you know he basically tells him you're going to beat out which is another reason why i say that this dude is an idiot because he's like he hits him in the chest with the staple gun and he's like, all right, I got you. I pierced your lung. And you should have about, like, yeah. well, he said, like, nine minutes to choke on your own blood. Dude died in, like, 60 right. seconds. He's like, huh? What? Oh, that's weird. I'm like, oh, my so God. Is that, so is that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is that him straight up messing up? Or is he just too emotional in the state to do the right math? It has to be a little of column A and column B, because even so, once you puncture the lung with a small enough, like, you know, dagger, like a, like yeah. a staple gun, like you're puncturing so small that the blood is going to right. rush fast. This isn't going to be a gash or a gush where it can clot up. Like, this shit's going to pour like a fucking Yeah, he was trying to anticipate like his age, his smoking, all that kind of stuff. All, of, all of that went into this math here. Um, that was what he said. He's like, huh? He's not a smoker. He's pretty fit. He's this age. He should have bled out in minutes. Why did he go in a few seconds? My guy, you hit him with like fucking five staples and lungs. What do you think of Hodges refusing to give up the info? He didn't care if he was gonna die or not, because that's you know it's. Them's the breaks. That's that's breakage. He knew cost of business. He knew exactly what he was signing up for because he was the one that you know allowed it to happen. You know, we were 
we were talking about this, so let's continue with it. Um, obviously, there's no such thing as like right or wrong in this universe, but is what Hobbes saying true? Not Hobbes, Hodges. Is what Hodge saying true? Was the mistake him going back? Like he kind of like this. You made this re like you, you didn't make this easy <laughs> kind of stuff. I think the mistake was that it, it was him not just owning up to the botched hit in general. I feel like if he owned up to the botched hit in general, the worst that would happen is he would have to once again breakage, pay out yeah. of his own pocket. Which sets him back on his goal of the money he wants. So now, two more hits turns to twelve more hits. Hit that, but <laughs> them's the breaks, you know. Like that's them's that's what break. happens. Like you had a clear shot, even with the dominatrix in the room. And as fast as you got out there when you shot the dominatrix, is as fast as you could have gotten out there if you shot that yeah. dude. Yeah. So yeah, he he made the mistake, and now he's trying to be able to not suffer consequences right. of his mistake. I also love Hodges. Hodge has this demeanor about him where he's like surprised that the killer is taking this personally. Because I believe if he's worked with this man for a while and they they talk as they talk and knowing his inner monologue, I could see a lot of this being kind of. You know, like the kind of their relationship kind of being cold and transactional. I mean, well, yeah, this isn't exactly yeah. his Winston, you know. And him coming, even when he shows up to the thing, he goes, the hell are you doing here? You know, it's not like a, oh, no, he knows. It's like a, you, you come on, man. Like, what are we what are we doing here? And then again, when he's kind of shocked about it, he's like, bro, bro, you went home. Like, what are you? I think it's a it's an interesting. Yeah, and that's why he was making the remarks like this is childish and stuff because he's like, you know, this is. This is nonsense. Yes, we're wasting what we're doing time right now. Like this is all theatrics. Like, what are you? Um, oh, you're mad about that girl that got beat up? I thought you had no empathy. I thought you had no. This is what I would think is going on in his head. You know, if not outright said. And that's what cracked me up the most. Is like, yo, oh, she yeah. survived. The most she got is a few cracked ribs and a black eye. Like, yo, count your count your blessings. Yeah. Take your losses. Go to another island. <laughs> <laughs> move to a different island, please. Exactly. Like, move. Uh, I want to. I want to read you some. Like, I want to read you some lie. stuff from. Um, let me see if I still have it from the comic that I had written down. Uh, certain certain lines. One thing is, um, in the comic, it's a five million dollar goal, and his little hideout is in Venezuela. Um, uh, another fun fact: his first hit was with a baseball bat in the comics. <laughs> um. And then uh, he used the money from his second hit to buy a, his first gun. Um, but I, there's these two lines that I thought were pretty... It says a lot about the character. He says, I help rich people kill each other. Poor people can't afford me. They handle it themselves. I thought that was pretty <laughs> cold. Yeah, no, I, that, shit, that, that was, was pretty cold. That was and another great. line from the comics is, Don't talk to me about justice or morals. Uh, even God himself, I wouldn't listen to. Not with his record. 
I was like, another well, one. That, yeah, you know, he's trying was... to make this very black and white, and for a very long time, he's managed to keep things black and white. Follow the rules, stay alive, get the job done, get paid, and now all of this gray is on his on his plate, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Um, Hodge denies to reveal the names and dies quicker than the killer anticipated, aspirating his on his own blood. Dolores offers to show the killer the assassin's identities in her personal paper files in her home, which proof that it's not only in the computer. Excuse me. Asking in return that the killer give her a quick and non-suspicious death so her children can claim the life insurance payout. After receiving the names at her home, the killer breaks his rule not to show empathy and breaks her neck and she falls down the flight of stairs, making it look like an accident. Um, so, I'm not going to lie. Maybe yeah. New York is a cynical bunch, but we were cracking. It happens. Uh, it happens we in a clip. It happens very, in, very, very fast. You're literally turning a corner to a staircase and he just snaps her neck and she, and she tumbles. Did you get in the moment? Did you get after the laughter? Did you get in the moment? Why? What he did? Yeah, yeah. Once the laughter settled down, I'm like, yeah. Well, I mean, she, she knew she wasn't being let go. He knew that mm -hmm. he wasn't letting her go. But what do you think about her make? What do you think about? Him? That's why she like swallowed. That what do you think about him making Xanax. it look like an accident, though? Yeah. Mercy. She acts nicely. He also saw the Xanax, so it's like it would look suspicious when they do the toxicology and she's got a whole bunch of fucking Xanax in her system <laughs> and a gunshot wound to the He's head. Fishing. Got it done. She's dead. <laughs> so at least this way, it looks um, like she overdosed. He also disposes of Hodge's body. With the locations of the assassins in his possession, he goes on the hunt for the brute. The killer drives to St. Petersburg. No, and this is another instance where he shows his brilliance because the way he manages to sneak into that building yeah. as a sanitation worker, where he gets the markers, gets yeah. the stickers, colors. I also love how he buys stuff like, on Amazon. Yo, like he, he just buys like, stuff imagine? on Amazon. <laughs> like, oh my god! Yeah, no, that shit had me dead. I'm like, what is this? Just a, this movie's an advertisement for McDonald's yeah. and Amazon for an, for an elite assassin he sure does slum it with us with mcdonald's and amazon and 7-eleven and all the right like he's still you know he's still vacations in the in the in the in the many and kills people for a hundred thousand dollars uh the killer drives to st petersburg florida which is 20 minutes from where i am currently at um and is able to identify the brute by his limp after drugging his pit bull with sedatives, which isn't meal was like that not working in the beginning. I feel like he kept trying to throw meat with, with pills in it, and the dog was like, nah. <laughs> no, because the dog wasn't eating it. That was the whole thing, is he yeah. was throwing the meat wads, the dog was sniffing it. That's what I meant. I, I thought, I, thought I was seeing that right. It wasn't, that he, it wasn't working in the beginning. Like He literally was just like, nah, what are you doing? Like I'm, I'm not... Yeah, no, he was he was sniffing it, but then he's like, "Wait, no, back to attention." Like, yeah, he was being a good boy. Yeah, he wasn't I mean, being. Eventually, tricked. gets got. Like he knew, yeah. he knew something was up. And then by that third one that he threw, he's like, "Cause he threw it and it went in front of him, 
So there was no distracting him at that point. There was no taking him away from where he was. Yeah. He could eat it while looking. And then, yeah. He out cold. Knocked that fucker um, out. The killer enters the brute house to kill him only to be tackled and have to engage in a lengthy fight with the assassin the brute as his name states um is seemingly incredibly durable fast and possesses great strength i think at one point this was all attributed to drugs <laughs> yeah no, like is it Tilda swinton or somebody it's, just it's like Florida. randomly throws out the line that like he's yeah all that's because of because of drugs um but this was genuinely probably the be- not only the best mm-hmm. fight scene of the year, but of this 20s decade, definitely the best fight scene of the decade. Like, this fight scene was wild. Every punch the brute was throwing at the killer, I was feeling like my jaw was hurting. This dude was taking some swings, throwing him into the wall, fucking throwing him in the, in the pillars. Yeah. I, I- and then, yeah, so matter-of-factually just shoots him up with no problem. Again, like, the killings in this movie have been nothing but matter-of-fact. The only real theatrical killing in this movie was the I did not expect this fight to go down like this. And I thought it was very well shot. And oh, I also thought they too. did a very good job making the brute feel like a monster, almost. You know, with the way he just tosses our protagonist around and... This was kind of like the rush ship. But done better, punishment. I would say. <laughs> done, done, done a little bit better. Oh, and yeah, no, one, no one on this set got stabbed I mean, for real. So. One doesn't have LaDonna. <laughs> I think, I think Fastbender has one over on old Kevin Nash. Because no one got stabbed for real in this. Yeah, that's... A, that's, um, that's but yeah, like the punches, the throws, all that kind of stuff. The, they gave weight to all of his actions, the brute. It made him, it made him seem almost unstoppable. Um... He makes the fight difficult for our protagonist who manages to evade his attacks. Uh, The brute eventually recognizes the killer as the person whose house he was sent to. In the end, the killer manages to shoot him through a door and escape before his pit bull, who just woke up, manages to maul him. Uh, People were saying that the old killer would have shot that dog. What do you say on that? I don't think the killer would have shot that dog because it's pointless. Well, is the dog? Well, the, in, in, in the this moment of to evade, in this moment, instead of running dog's away, dog's gonna him, point instead of because he's running away from him, so he doesn't get mauled by this dog. Well, because because once again, this is this is something personal. This isn't the pit well, that's what I'm saying to that, do with this. Yeah, and then we'll we'll get to it later. But you're gonna see that like something like this is it's innocuous to him. Okay, dogs here. Let me get away before the most. My DNA is now everywhere, even yeah. though his blood would be yeah. everywhere, technically. After a fight like this, technically his blood would be like. Yeah, I everywhere. wondered. Like, like I said, he's he's able to comp- He's able he to comp- uh, compartmentalize this killing as the brute being the only one that needs to, even if he's his literal life was in danger. Like, I don't know. He doesn't even kill all of his gang members. Like he waits for everybody to leave. Like he was, he was staking yeah. the whole day. He waited for everybody to leave so that he was just home alone. That's how like one track 
personal. I think that's incredibly interesting. This is. That he's able to obviously use some of his assassin acumen in this. And then at other points completely like... Because I also think that there could have been a better way to do this. He doesn't have to go into his home to do this. He could have waited somewhere. But he, this man is trying to get results. He's trying to get results right now. Yeah. He could have done a sniper. Um, in the comics... He makes a point to say that he's kind of bored of sniping people. That he missed the days where he was able to like to get up close and do. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. When was the last time I had a right? Like, right. Last time I and had I a drowning. I wonder that if there's a little bit of that to th this. Like, if this is going to be the farewell tour, right? Then we're we're snapping necks on top of staircases. We're we're yeah. No, no, he said that here. Yeah. He said that he was tired of shooting people from far away, that he yes. missed proximity killings. Yeah. Like, he missed the garrette wires and the stabbings really and all of that. And that's when the line goes, when was the last time I had a silent <laughs> drowning? We, I'm like, oh, you son, you son of a bitch, because really we all reminisce about different silent. things, I guess. <laughs> because, yeah, it's not, that's not in, in my uh, memory bank. Um, wait, no, definitely all this not. tact. What do you think about the classic Molotov cocktail? <laughs> Still effective. I love me a good Molotov. I think they've always been yeah. done good in movies. God, could you imagine the, the wrong? Yeah, I think Molotov. You know I was gonna say, could you imagine the wrong takes with those things? Fuck, oh, hose it down. <laughs> we gotta get another shot. <laughs> I would hope that when they really film those movies that it's just like a, a wine yeah. glass full of water it, and they're it, just setting a rag on fire like I would hope it's not like real Everclear right. cuz that's like Well we see the how wild the fire erupts inside the apartment. I mean that could all be computer graphics and stuff like that. But um yeah, I just <laughs> It just, uh, it's funny. You could just see like kind of the, almost a liquid and fire as one, a lake of fire come through. It's pretty cool. Um, but him dead. Then we go to the concrete jungle. The chapter five, the New York, the experts. So the killer travels to Beacon, New York, where he confronts the expert Q-tip assassin in a gourmet restaurant. The assassin seems simultaneously shocked and yet appears to accept her fate. Where do you... Wh why, do, why, do, why do you think this was... Yo, calling Tilda a Swinton... A Q-tip? <laughs> what, what's is up? That what yeah, calling Tilda Swinton a Q-tip is disrespectful. I think he says like... So oh, many yeah, she ways. Like a <laughs> he says it when he sees her out, outside of the restaurant. And then... The, and that's when he pops up at the table and they show Swinton... And I, I'm the only one in the theater at that point that laughed. I belted out such a snark because I'm like, you sons of bitches is wild. That's yeah, is. dirty. That was dirty. Do you... But I do like how the minute he sat down, she's like, let me a get flight. five shots a flight. for me. Um, which I've only ever seen done with beers. I guess that is a thing you could probably get them done with alcohols, but... Yeah. yeah, I've done that with beers. I've done it with seven ounces yeah. of glasses of beers. It's it's like 18 bucks, and you get to pick five different right. beers. Um, so 
do you uh, do you agree with my assessment of the situation that she is both shocked but also accepting of the fact that she's going to die in this moment? Oh no, one hundred percent. Once she orders the drinks, she's like, "Yeah, if I'm going to go out, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out swinging." I'm almost. There's a bit of me that's almost shocked about those guys as well being unprepared for retaliation. I don't know what they wouldn't have. Yeah, that's probably one of the one things that does bother me. But like, for the sake of just the overall movie, I don't really think about it too much. But like, yeah, did nobody think that this man was going to like literally strike back and strike back hard? Hmm. I I can only attribute it. Let's just attribute it to hubris across the board. Like everyone thinking they're better than they are. They are. Well, yeah, you know. Um, so, the expert questions the killer's motivations using a metaphorical story of a bear and a hunter as they partake in her last supper of whiskey. So it's in this conversation where she kind of brings up the idea or the doubt that she has that he missed by accident. This is when she says like the line of like, you know, the guy who never miss misses missed or something like that. Um, which is what put me on the, you know, the train of, of doubt in that moment. Yeah. Because she makes, she makes the argument that if you keep missing the bear, if you keep like going back for the bear, every time you miss, like at what point is this just not about the hunt? Or bear sex suicide because it was bear sex, it was sodomy, <laughs> it was bear inflicted sodomy. Uh, the only time on this podcast you hear those words put together. Uh, I don't, uh, wait, yo, you lying, bro. Let me sound scary. Uh, gosh, Andre Broger, I think. Died. Captain Hall from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Sixty one no years old. Way. Damn. Holy life, shit. man. Golly. Yeah, sixty one. <sighs> As the world That's turns, um, after I like this conversation, I like that they have this conversation, and I also think he's telling the truth when he says that he wants a decent conversation. I really believe him in that moment where he's like, "I will just talk to you," because he can just kill her. You know, he says that the whole thing about what she says, like, "Why are we even sitting here? Like, you could just kill me. I could scream right now. You can." I also want to believe that it's like, it's this weird, like you say with the compartmentalization, this isn't a fight that he uses brute force with. He already used his brute force with the brute. And at this point, he's probably still recovering. This dude probably has like a concussion that yeah. even he doesn't know about. Like at this point, he knows he's going to kill her. He knows he's going to win. Might as well just like have an intellectual yeah. fight. Um, do you believe her when she says that she tried to call the brood off? No? No. Okay. Nah, I think something I she does later on could kind of... 
clue you into the fact that she'll say anything. It's, and it's not even that. Yeah, exactly. It's not even just that. I feel like she was just saying that to say it. Like, like even she knew that it was going to be bullshit and be seen through. But, you know, at this point, try anything to, to maybe change his mind. I She definitely didn't try to call nobody off. She didn't even really... She, no, she was definitely thinking about it. I could say besides anybody else, she, she might have had some empathy like, in that moment. Not getting sleep over, sleep over that. Okay. I know she was. Um, after discussion about their profession, the expert skips dessert. I like that too. When she's like, he's like, uh, she's like, do you have any ice cream? And the guy's like, oh, we might. Do you want some? And then she looks at Fastbender. Fastbender gives her a look like we're leaving. <laughs> like this is, we don't have time for this. Like I've given you enough time. We sat here, we had the whiskeys. I even drank, which I don't do on the job. And and he's like, nah, yeah, he's we've been making this goodbye party go on for too long. We're getting the hell out of here. I thought that was pretty uh, funny. A lot of black comedy in this, as you were saying earlier. Um, and they proceed to outside the park, knowing that she's in her last minute. Yeah, because it was very much like a shoot em up in a sense, where it's like, you know what it was? It was like a hot fuzz as well, where it's like, it is taking the tropes, and it's, it's not that it's satirizing them, but it's making them look ridiculous in such a cool way that it looks like it's just a part of the club of tropes. It's making you think of Jason Bourne and John Wick, even though in a sense it's kind of it's kind of poking holes in the ridiculousness of these kinds yeah, of main and characters. it plays with your knowledge of the genres. Like I said again, I think you would think at the end of this, he finds the person who commits the hit and burns the whole house down. And that's not what happens here. Um intentionally, you know, like they did that's all done on purpose. Fincher knows the tropes. He's done enough of these films on his own, right? Like, if anybody gets it, it's him. Oh, of course. He's done his own finishers yeah. of tropes. And there's nothing wrong with that. We talk about that all the time. You're a man now who have seen a multitude of, of, of films, um, and you understand that for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's the rule book. You know, you, you, you learn to color within the lines before you learn to color outside the lines. <laughs> these are the rules you don't break them um but sometimes these rules are good anticipate no empathy don't improvise no mcmuffins not even in the face of armageddon no english yeah, muffins sorry no english muffins <laughs> not even in the face of armageddon <laughs> Bagels. So bagels. yeah, eat some bagels. Um. So knowing that she's in her last minutes, she warns that her life will be what flashes before his when he dies, and that he will die. Um. I just thought that was some cold, but but it's smack. But knowing what comes up next, I think she was being a little bit more pointed there because suddenly, whoop. That, but it was also like. Yeah, yeah, she tries to pull out the knife, and he's like, and no, She appears to trip on the stairs. Bye -bye. She requests the killer to give her a hand. Uh, the killer instead shoots her dead in her forehead, and uh, he, he notices that she had a concealed knife in her hand, um, ready to end our protagonist. With both assassins dead, it's time to trace. Go ahead. And I'm yeah. going to ask you now. Notice 
Do you think he noticed the knife in her hand, or do you think he just took the opportunity of her tripping as a way to just put an end to all I this? think he was going to shoot her anyway, and it's one of those things he's like, she was also going to kill me. <laughs> like, I think it's after the fact, kind of like, oh, okay, good, good, good. Because like, <laughs> I feel maybe a, less, a little bit less bad. Yeah, this isn't a Walter White situation. This definitely isn't a situation where he like noticed the broken plate missing. Like he's he saw her trip and he's like, "All right, cool. Now I can kill her." And then when he noticed the knife, he's like, "Okay, now I definitely know that I was supposed to kill her in this moment." Like if he had any doubts, you know what I'm saying? And I you got to think of a man like him who is so meticulous would be constantly second guessing himself, you know? And that's like, "Oh no, you're on the money." Yeah, that's Especially how you're on the money. Watch. Nope, you had it 100% right. She was going to get your ass. <laughs> um, and now it's... The second you helped her up, she was going to... Uh, now it's time Ooh. for the final chapter. So chapter six is the client in Chicago. Um, the killer finally travels to Chicago, where the client, billionaire venture capitalist, Henderson Clay Claiborne, lives in an upscale penthouse. The killer transfers the entirety of his finances to the Dominican Republic under the name Jefferson and observes Claiborne's routines. So the fact that that lady at the bank was kind of like, oh, do you want to talk about our other sort of, um, what is it, our other uh, investment opportunities? I think, like, yeah, I think he's, he's out. Just like, right? Like, he's out, out, right? Like, he wants to be out. It's not a case where he's like, he'll just find another client to pay him for oh. shit. I think he's he's done, done. What do you think? No, he's he's done. He is 100% out of the game. Um, yeah, so that's, that's interesting there. Uh, what do you think about Claiborne? Seems pretty normal, right? Like, he doesn't seem like a mustache twirling, uh, you know, super villain. He's another bumbling idiot. He's another guy that's just he's like in over his head, doesn't know what he's doing, but in in some ways does know what he's doing. Like he's smart enough to have security, but not smart enough to have twenty four seven bodyguards. Right. I love the line. He's a working I love the line, line about just not a Uber shining line. eats or whatever. Right. He's like <laughs> he's like uh, you pay for like a million dollars security, and I still get in with the Uber. The Uber eats is the best Trojan horse, I think, is what he said. Because he's like, you know, no matter how much security you get, all of a sudden the millionaire yeah. wants a watermelon. And then that's when I come in. <laughs> and I was like, I never thought about that. Like, everyone has to eat eventually. Like, even if they have full-scale uh, full security. Well, I mean, they've done that before in other mobster movies in the past. They've done it with the, the Chinese food delivery. They've done it with the pizza delivery. Like, anytime, like, a higher-up person gets takeout, they're always like scouring in the food, doing wire checks, making sure no one has like a gun right. on them, having someone do taste tests. Like they've they've always done that um, thing. But I do think it's funny now that we have gotten into a place in society where we're not thinking like that. I think it's a great commentary on just us as like how lazy and pretentious and egotistical we've gotten that. Yeah. We can have million dollar security and still order Chipotle <laughs> from Uber Eats, and our assassin walks in. There's got to be more of that 
in this right with the with the like I said again with the Seven Eleven McDonald's whatever. Like there's got to be like the thoughtless nature in which we just the thoughtless nature in consumerism. Like I buy my Amazon stuff. I don't care who breaks their back to put it on the conveyor belt and get it to me. I need it today because it said it was going to come today. I go to get my burger. I don't give a damn what's going on with the behind the counter. Just uh, make my food and kind of get with it. I the impersonal nature of everything that we're at at this point that came with you know, big conglomerate companies kind of speaks to the compartmentalization that the killer has, right? Like he's here for a thing and then he leaves. He doesn't really care about anyone behind the counter. We're back in the day, used to go to Tim hardware store and you knew Tim's daughters and you knew, you know, like he was the guy in the neighborhood. Uh, am I off base with any of this? No, no, you're, you're, you're so right. Because, you know, it's a lot more easier to be self sufficient and self-reliant but yeah that's really all it is with that thought it's like it's a lot more easier that way you don't have to go to a sporting goods store for your crossbow right just order a crossbow (laughs) that's pretty good (laughs) and you don't even have to use your own home address like if you pay with that with like a prepaid debit card that you put money on and then you use like a building that's like near you that has like that Amazon lockbox. So like my building has an Amazon lockbox, and it's not for designed to any one apartment building. It's just in general for anybody that uses Amazon. So you can just have that shit shipped to any oh, place yeah. that has an Amazon lockbox. Yeah, and, I mean. I think. What do you think about him breaking into the house with the Amazon stuff, being able to being able to use? <laughs> no, when when he went when he was breaking into the gym, I was in actual tears. I'm like, how is this man doing this? Where he's bumping into a janitor, and then he gets pissed off. He intentionally bumps into the janitor to swipe the the ID, and then gets pissed off and says, "Oh, new suit, like, bro." Are you trying to keep a low profile or not? Like, what is going right. on? Um, so he gets into the house. The killer confronts Claiborne at gunpoint in his penthouse, asking if he ordered the retaliated hit out of personal grievance. Is it more of an insult that Claiborne was... Which is I would say, is it more of an insult that Claiborne was so, like... I didn't even necessarily order a hit. Yeah, he's like, I didn't even necessarily order a hit. I ordered the first hit, and then when it didn't go well, your boss recommended, you know, like a recommended service. I'm like, (laughs) you know, he's literally said that I was going to get compensated. That's all I, that's all I know. It's like, yeah, your boss said he was going to compensate me for the money I lost out on the botch. It's like, I don't even know your name. I have no idea who you are. Like, that was the whole best part. When he broke in, he didn't even know why the guy was breaking in. He's like, listen, man, you want money? I get you money. It's pretty you interesting. This, I get you that. Yeah, that question. So right? You don't like, even know why? I'm... Like, I came in here with a silenced gun. You got no clue. And it's true. It's so impersonal to to him now. You know, <laughs> which he sees himself in that mirror. People's that lives were in the like, balance damn, in this. This is how the other people side have of died because of this. Look. All of this, and he, yeah, and so it's such a a cold. 
you know, um, impersonal way of even having this whole conversation. Uh, he says, like, yeah, I got no personal problem with you. Because he literally is like, yo, do we have a problem? <laughs> That's literally how he comes to his house. He's like, do we got a problem? And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, we don't have a problem. Um, I was a first-time client of a hitman. So I agreed to pay to get the trail scrubbed. I don't know what that meant. That's what he literally what he said. He's like, I don't know what that meant. Uh, you know? Um, and then the killer kind of just senses that there's an indifference. Like he doesn't think like, this is not a personal. Well, he made that comment earlier. He said that he's going to look in his eyes and he's going right. to know. No, as in, I'll know if I'm going to kill him or not. Like all I have to do is just look in his eyes, see what he says. And if I know I'm going to, yeah, I'll cap. It, uh, and he didn't see it. And then I love how he threatens him. He's like, yo, if I have to come back here, I'm going to do it. Like, he said, I would leave a radio. So he said, I'm going to leave like, a radio back to on, your on your coffee mug or something like that. And you'll die a slow death. Um, <laughs> is that big talk? Is that just, is that just like a cold thing you say before you leave? No, yeah. I believe. No, I believe him. I believe yeah. him. with the next snap. And thing, also you want to talk I about kicking him. yourself. If this guy does come and do something else after this, right for letting him go it's something he probably would never would have done um i think that's also an interesting wrinkle as well if they wanted to continue this um but yeah he promises him that slow death <coughs> excuse me later the killer yeah which is all he wants. later the killer returns to the dominican republic and settles next to a recovering magdala and in his inner monologue we sense that he now sees himself as one of the many no longer one of the few Hinting that the life of a hitman may be in his rear view after all. How did you take this ending? And did you notice the subtle eye twitch before the uh, before the film cut to black? And what do you think it means if you, if you did or didn't? Um, well, really, my, both, with, with my reaction to the ending both times, it was more so of a, damn, he actually got to win. And it's still, that's... I'm seeing it now in your way, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see it that way, but it's still just a surprise factor of he got to win. Normally, they don't win. You know, John Wick yeah. lost his dog. Like, they killed the man's dog. Like, they they killed everyone's, different people's love interests, from Ethan Hunt to Jason Bourne. Like, that's just... Yeah. Weird. It's frigging. There's always... Fridging. And in a sense, you can make a case that yes, Fassbender's girlfriend was fridged here, but I would also argue that the girlfriend was really not. You could have cho you could have done anything for him to be set yeah. over the edge, but the fact that they didn't kill his girlfriend to make him feel alone. Well, it, I think they went there to kill him, and once she was there, it became about quote unquote again scrubbing the trail. And they probably would have gotten away with it, but she stabbed the brute. <laughs> I think we, I don't know if we've said that before. Like he got injured, so they had to, they had to basically leave. But yeah, I, I, um, I think it's interesting because there's a world in which, because we're, we're working on two things. We're working on the idea that he's the protagonist and we're working on the rule of cool, right? For this film. In no wor real world yeah. does he get away with all this. You know what I'm saying? Like, Holt had to answer to somebody, right? I mean, Hodges had to answer to somebody. Well, no, he would have he would have gotten caught the second he killed 
even before he killed Miami with Hodges. Because once again, he left mm. DNA everywhere. Um, and and then once again, yeah, Miami. You're telling me his blood splatter is not all over that apartment, even if it's blown up. You're you're finding something. There's something there. It almost seems that like... you're gonna find skin follicle on body parts. You can <laughs> scrub the, the dog. Do if a little want, mouth swab on the dog. If they wanted yeah, to continue it, they the literally can't pick up any one of these threads. You know? And I thought it was interesting that as he's saying that he's one of the many, no longer one of the few, that his eye twitches almost like he's not used to this. Or that, yeah, or that he, he can to. snap back at any time. And I can totally, bro, in the world that we live in, I could totally see a sequel. You know, I thought I was out. You know, uh, they're saying that I'm back. Kind of, you know. And maybe we could see some more proficient kills. Um, but what a story. What a film. I really, really dug this. I, I like that you uh, suggested it uh, with your film background and my comic background. It was really cool to see both of those worlds come together um, with all the bona fides. Oh, yeah. Once I saw it was a graphic novel, I'm like, yo. Yeah, I might continue the graphic novel uh, in general. I, I really liked how it read. I, I thought the art was pretty, pretty damn uh, beautiful. So, um I would really, really like to see the rest of the story and see how the rest of the story plays out. The world is slowly, slowly uh, coming to, not terms, but you know, the realization that this film exists. Hopefully this podcast helps that and we help foster the conversation in it. That's all we try to do uh, each and every week. But um, do you have anything else to say about The Killer before I start wrapping things up? Um... I think one of the funniest parts of this movie was when the credits were rolling. I turned over to my friend and I said, yo, this is the theme theme song song from Charmed. Charmed. It was the theme song from Charmed. If you listen, if you type in YouTube, the theme song from Charmed, you listen to it. Yeah. That was, do you have, did they have a regular, like, and then like a regular music song theme song? No, it it was, uh, there was just that sort like, they used a Smith song. Right. And it wasn't even like a sped up or remix version. It was just legit the chorus. They the said that the reason why they chose the Smith is because majority of their lyrics are cynical. But then you'll get into the occasional song where they almost are in pain and are talking about how it hurts to be human or how much they want love or want to be loved. Um, it's, it's the, it's the comp. Yeah, I can definitely see the killer listening to please, please, please it's let me com- get what I want It's the compartmentalization again, right? Like, he's hearing songs about the beautiful things and doing horrible things. You definitely have to have the mind to separate the two. And it seems like our killer does. Um... <laughs> I need to see a Spotify playlist. I was also going to say, I get all the disguises, but all the disguises are also oddly similar. <laughs> right <laughs> well because he said that he wants to be inconspicuous but not so inconspicuous that it draws attention and he got the idea from no, german tourist german wasn't serial it? killer that literally wore uh, the german tourist like he but he, yeah he was some kind of he was criminal. like per, the pra- people in paris hate german and he was like, people like they won't talk to me they'll ignore me if they think i'm a german and so i'll dress and look like a german man <laughs> i wonder if that's true I have to go to party. Now, now I, no, I, no, well, no, I definitely don't no, want to test any of that out. 
an American in Paris dressing as a German. If somebody annoys me, I might try out the whole uh, staple gun, nail gun, <laughs> chest <laughs> thing, and maybe I get to nine minutes. We'll see. We'll see how that whole thing works. I'll just sedate their. I need dog a. I need a mythbuster. How, how many minutes does it take to kill somebody with a nail gun through the chest? No, yeah, because like, and I also need a mythbusters on if the a nail gun staple can even reach. I guess with enough lungs. pressure, it was what three inches. It's gonna poke through the breastplate. It's gonna poke through the breastplate yeah. though. Right here. <laughs> No, I, like unless you, you guys couldn't like, do it, but I was like, tapping yeah, my like, my, yeah, my like, breastplate because every time I hear breastplate and think of tapping, I think of uh, Pulp Fiction. Like, you have to get through the through the Pulp chest fiction. plate. <laughs> you got a jamming motion no, like this. Stab like, stab it three times. Times. No, you don't stab it three times. Uh, Somebody make a Pulp Fiction comic. We cover Pulp times. Fiction on this show. <laughs> but uh. The good thing is, if they do cover Pulp Fiction in a comic, we will be covering it on this show because we cover almost everything on this show: comics, comic book, television shows, comic book movies, uh, graphic novels, um, and even sometimes uh, just the basic news, rumors, and speculation when it comes to comic book, comic book media. And we do so as part of the Major Issues Podcast, uh, which you're listening to right now. Uh, the Major Issues Podcast comes out each and every week. We started coming out on Thursday. A little bit halfway through this year after we hit episode 300 so it's been fun on a new day tackling some new projects we just recorded our first episode of a new video series that will be coming out soon so i'm excited to talk to you guys about that but all of that stuff is going to have a home and that home is comicbookclick.com comicbookclick.com is the one stop for everything comic book click our merchandise articles ran by us and every single episode of the major issues podcast which is like excuse me 600 hours of content at this point it's where all of the stuff that we do live uh it's where you can go to our t public store by hitting shop cbc you can support comic book click and go to our patreon patreon.com cbc clubhouse where for as little as three dollars ten cents a day three dollars a month you can help support us keep the lights on here and afford the hardware and the software we need to keep providing uh free content like this each and every week um follow us wherever we are over social media just literally comic book click everything facebook.com slash comic book click instagram at comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest hottest latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media we're also at major issue cbc on twitter and we're at major issue cbc on twitch if you can't help us monetarily by either becoming a patreon or buying a t-shirt for this holiday season consider rating and reviewing us on itunes that'll be the best gift ever tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast we are getting bigger by word of mouth but we need every mouth uh, that sounded dirtier than I wanted it to. But continue to spread the good word. Yes. <laughs> continue to spread the good word when it comes to comic book click. Tell your friends. Tell a friend. Uh, written review us on iTunes. If you guys give us five stars on iTunes, then when people look for this kind of content, they'll find us. We'll shoot right up. Um, and I know that we do become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media because I've been to the future. So I've actually seen that happen. But I can't tell you how we do it exactly because then I'll mess up the timeline. And next thing you know, The Rock is playing Magneto in first class. And no one wants that to happen. That could you Somewhere in between rage and serenity, you know? something. You got you to gotta, you gotta get in there. You got to get in there. Somewhere between rage and serenity. 
Um, but yeah, we are all over social media. Literally, just Google Major Issues, Google Comic Book Click, and you'll find us. But if the people want to find you, then the comic book man, then the movie man, where could they find you? Just you know, just put my first and last name on Letterbox. Just Daniel Georgie, D A N I E L G E O R G I. Just search my name on Letterbox, and that's the okay. best place to find me. Because then I have every Twitter link there. I have my Instagram. Awesome, link awesome, there. awesome. I'll actually go ahead and uh, I will put the link for your Letterbox in the show notes. Um, Dan is an accomplished uh, film uh, watcher and uh, reviewer and potentially writer uh, <laughs> someday if he if he gets uh, what he wants. So follow his journey as he continues to watch the latest and greatest things to come to film and cinema uh, over there, a part of his Letterbox. But uh, we're finishing things up here with, for the year. Oh, so make sure that you guys get these last couple episodes in because they're going to be really, really fun. We're covering Mask of the Phantasm, Aquaman, and then we'll be talking about the best and the worst of 2023. So uh, if you joined us all this time, keep the party going, man, and we'll see you guys next week. But my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan And the this Cop, has man. been our The Killer recap and review and remember whether you're an expert a brute a client a dog or a killer remember you're always part of the click and always remember that you yes you are worthy